0: Good morning, it's lovely to see you all. (laughs) I was uh, toying whether to put off the train set a little bit longer. But then, as I sat there, I realised this (laughs) a father's love is not enough to be transformed, it's not sufficient on its own. To be completely transformed and renewed, the love of the Father is not sufficient, because you have to work with Him. He loves you. There's no doubt about it. He's the best Father in the world. Whatever you think about today, and I don't know some people it's wonderful, some people it's the worst day in the world. Whatever you think about it, He loves you. He thinks you're fantastic and awesome and wonderful, but that actually doesn't change you one little bit. He just do not until you learn to receive it until you learn to live in it and dwell in it, until you allow all those thoughts that shove it away to be transformed, it can't actually do anything. It can't do anything. Because Jesus is the ultimate gentleman. And although he may hunt you down and climb a mountain and all that stuff, which is all true, ultimately, he will not push you over. He will not open the door. He will not force you to do anything unless you want it to be done. So we need the love of the Father. And without the love of the Father, we can't have any of the wonderful things that we've got, but it also needs you. Because he says, what does he say Revelation chapter 3? I stand at the door and I badge it down? Stand at the door and kick it in? No. Stand at the door and... And I wait. And he does that forever. What he won't do is pick the lock, put his foot through it, get the fireman to come with a big whacking machine. Whacking machine, that's a technical term. (laughs) And um, he won't do any of that stuff. Which is why I'm going to talk about choice and thoughts and how you actually make that love become part of you so it just flows out of you wherever you go. Because the truth is, it's a bit like... Uh, I was thinking today as I was sat there, I, in, in, as we were singing it together, I was thinking, you know what? It's like, I just want the reservoir of his love to go just deeper and deeper and deeper. I need more of it to give out. I need more of it. I want more of it. I want it to flow out of me more easily and more quickly and more. Just, but that means I've got to get this bigger reservoir. So, we're going to carry on talking about choices, and I don't, I don't, you all looked a bit shocked when I said the love of the Father isn't enough. You were like, what the heck, has he gone c- completely off it? But what, 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 you understand what I mean? The Father loved you your whole life, and until you said yes, it didn't make any difference, did it? The Father loves everybody in the whole world, but until they say yes, it cannot affect them. They can see it, they can be aware of it, but until they go, yes, I want to receive that love, they can be as thirsty as they want, but unless they take a sip, it ain't going to do anything, is it? But it's the, same. it's the same for you all the time. Father wants you to live in his love, and the only way you ultimately get to know this sense of security and peace and significance is when you know the love of the Father like you've never known it before. In order to do that, you have to fight the thoughts in your head that tell you all sorts of nonsense. And that's what I've been trying to talk about for weeks, but we kept doing other stuff, which was fun. But Proverbs 23 and verse 7, as he thinks within himself, so he is. So, the vast majority of our thought life determines pretty much everything. I know there are some people who are uh, classed as clinically depressed, which has got to do with some things going on with um, chemicals in their brain, but the vast majority of us, how we are is to do with our thinking. And it's, of course, an incredibly powerful and liberating statement because it means you are not at the mercy of your circumstances or your emotions or your hormones or your past, but you are at the mercy of your thoughts, which you have the power to control. I love this verse because it tells me that I'm in charge and I'm in control. For good or for bad, of course. And in the last couple of times when I've taught on this, I've tried to explain how our thinking is the root of our behaviour. And if we want to change our behaviour, we have to change our thinking. That's the the thing most people get wrong. They take this book as a book about behaviour. This book is not a book about behaviour, it's a book about thinking. Although it expresses some behaviours that are helpful, it's actually a book about thinking, because it's really a book about who God is and who we are. It reveals who God is and it reveals who we are. And when we understand that, we start to behave in a godly way. So, your brain is incredibly clever and it wants to be as efficient as it can. So you have all these thoughts and these thoughts, they're, they're, we call them highways or other, maybe you can think of it a rutted track today, but but there are some thoughts, in fact most thoughts in your mind, they, they exist like rutted tracks like that. Now it's very difficult for even a far before like that to get out of those rutted tracks, to kind of just, you can't just disappear out and go somewhere else. It's kind of on this way of thinking. And your mind is, is, is very efficient and it wants to take the easiest route. So once you've done something a number of times, a highway, a rutted track forms in your mind and you literally go on autopilot. So even for many of us driving, most of us don't actually consciously think a lot of the time when we're driving. Which is dangerous at times, but that's kind of how it is. But there's lots of things you do that you don't think about. You just do them automatically. That's good, because if you had to think about breathing, you would be very tired. If you had to think about everything you actually did, you'd be exhausted. So your brain's really efficient. And it's interesting how quickly our brain becomes efficient. A little, uh, Quite a while ago now, the battery ran out on our car fob so you had to unlock it with the key and eventually i got round to changing the battery and it worked again but because i'd got used to walking up to the car getting the key out and unlocking it even when i changed the battery i carried on unlocking the car why is that because i'd got into a habit i'd got into a way of doing things i walk up to the car i get the key out oh god didn't think my my brain had been very efficient and gone we don't want to waste up valuable processing time thinking about that we're going to create a little rut, and when you walk towards the car and feel the key, we've got it nailed. And you can read all sorts of studies about mice of how they go through a maze to get a prize, and literally, eventually, once they know the maze, their brain literally shuts off, because they've kind of committed it into this habitual memory, and all these neurons actually switch off. So at first, they're thinking, how do I get to this cheese? And their brain's going really fast. And eventually, literally, their brain activity Conscious brain activity pretty much ceases because they know what they're doing now. Which your brain needs to do. But it's also hugely unhelpful for you in many ways. And so today I want to talk about how we change some of those thought patterns. Not not thought patterns about whether I unlock my keys with me, the lock or the button, but, but rather those thoughts that take us down places that are unhelpful. Those thoughts that when I say the love of God is the most wonderful thing, you go, yeah, but not for me. Those thoughts that you just kind of get you down all the time, and you know what they are. And to do that, we need to play with a train. Oh, not that bit. We used to have a massive one of these. Now we gave it to somebody else, and I don't get to play. It's very disappointing. Right, so little train, train. I think we'll go that way actually. We'll Can you feel the tension in the room? It's wonderful. <laughs> so excited about a little train. <laughs> Can you do it as it sets off down the train? Okay. Choo choo, yeah. Okay, cheers, mate. Okay. So what happens is that your thoughts are all started by some form of trigger. There's a trigger and then what happens is your thought goes down a certain route and then it hits a destination. So it's a bit like this train going down this track. There's a trigger that sets it off. And it can only go one way. Okay, It's going to go down this track. But what happens is sometimes it ends up not in a good place. So, and you can all identify these things. It's when somebody says I love you and you say they don't or somebody marks a piece of work and you're just expecting it to come back terrible or it's when you're walking into a certain relationship and it reminds you of certain things or whatever it may be. The trigger could be somebody walking into a room and walking past you without acknowledging you, which causes a certain line of thought to follow about how unloved and uncared for you are, which allows emotion to flow down the highway you just created so now you feel unloved and uncared for. You arrived at a destination miserable, not because of another person's actions, but because of your thoughts. Many triggers are all about other people. It's about what other people do, what other people say, what other people don't do, what other people don't say. We often can't do anything about the trigger because it comes from an external thing, a comment, a choice, Um, and, and this is a mistake lots of people make. They go, well, if I just stop this train leaving this bridge, I'm all right. I'm not gonna go down this negative thought. I'm not gonna end up in this difficult place. So all I have to do is stop this train from leaving the bridge and then I'm all right. The problem is because the trigger all the time is about other people, that leads to you trying to control everybody around you. Because the thing that starts off this thought is often not what goes on with you. It might be something you see, something you watch, something you smell, something you hear, a geographical place. So lots of people go, I can't go there. I can't go there because then this will happen. Or I can't meet with this person because then that will happen. I can't go to this place. I can't celebrate this birthday. I can't go And and they kind of put all these things around them that stop them because they don't want this train to set off down this track. But of course, what's that called? Well, it's called control. It's called controlling other people and controlling environments. And of course, Jesus lived a life that was very, very successful and never controlled anybody. So controlling whether this train sets off or not is not the best way to do it. You can't do much often about whether it leaves the the, the bridge or not. But you can do something about the journey that it takes, because that is in your control. This bit, this tipping bit right here, is totally out of your control. This bit is is totally in your control. So it, it, it amazes me why tons of people focus on controlling the bit that they can't control and forget about the bit they can control. So this bit, listen, it's life. People are going to do things. People are going to say things. People are going to let you down. They're going to get invited to places you might not want to go. But how about being able to be free to go wherever you want to go and meet with whoever you want to meet with because you know that when you get there, you can control where this train is going to go. That's powerful, isn't it? That's why this book is so wonderful. That's why it's so fantastic. That's why we can say that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, because actually there's a freedom in him being able to be you and go where you want to go. Because unlike most of the people, you're not worried about this setting off, you're going, okay, maybe then we can change the route of this actual train. The other thing I recognise, this, this is not just a psychological element, it has a spiritual element to it too. And that, that's the real fight, because... Although I could do this talk and it could just be good psychology, there's a whole other element to it that first of all, it's rooted in the Bible which came before all modern day psychology. But second of all, there is a spiritual battle for your mind and your life. That's the reality of it. There's a fight on. And the beauty of it is you don't just have what the Bible tells us about how our minds work or what what psychologists and all the other psycho people tell us. Actually, you have the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside to help you too you were an advantage to everybody else because you have more. But you have to also recognise there is a fight for your mind and that somebody does not, these, these thought patterns that lead you to negative places, somebody wants them to stay exactly as they are. That's the truth. And so there's a fight. So in order to get this train and go in a different direction, you'd have to do two things, wouldn't you? First of all, you'd have to rip up this old track. All right? And then you'd have to lay a new track that took it to a different destination. So first of all, you'd have to tear up the old track. And then you'd have to create a new one. And, and this is, again, where people go on. They go, well, I'll just create a new one. OK, well, we'll, we'll just put a little kind of, is it points? They're called points out there, Yeah. Like a little junction in here. Well, okay, well, you could, just put a little, you could just leave the old track and try and create a new one, but all you're going to do is, well, we, well, when we get there, this trigger will go. Who knows where we're going to go? Wouldn't it be nice to be certain where it's going to go? Wouldn't it be nice to know that when this trigger hit, you knew exactly where your thoughts were going to go because you were in charge of them? So we have to rip it up, and then we have to re-layer. Now, the reason I've not talked about this till now, and there's, there's two other messages, they're, they're both online if you want to kind of catch up on the prequels, if you like. Um, it's because you can only do this once you've identified what this thought pattern is, which is what I've talked about the last couple of times. Once you understand, okay, there is a track like that in my mind and it takes me to places that are unhelpful for me and those around me, then you can start to rip it up. But you can only do that as you were in the Word, as you were listening to the Word and reading the Word. Because until you come face-to-face with truth, you cannot... Identify what is false. That's why this word's so important because it tells you what's true, and if you don't know what's true, you don't know what's false. When I graduated from university just a few years ago, <laughs> I am um, well, 21, but um, I my first job was with what was then Abbey National, the bank, and I started on the counter giving money out because people used to go to banks and talk to people and get money out then. And they used to have little passbooks and stuff. But I never once in my training got showed a fake banknote. Because what they said to me is, don't worry Adam, the more you handle the, the truth, the quicker you'll spot a fake. So you don't get trained as a bank cashier with fake stuff. They just give you the real stuff. And you'd know there'd be these ladies who'd kind of been behind that counter for like 30, 40 years. And, and, and if I weren't sure, I'd give them one. They'd just go, that's no, fine. you be like, didn't even look at it, but they, these ladies for 30, 40 years had handled the truth yeah. so they could spot a fake like that, spot it immediately. That's why this thing's so important because if you're not in this thing, because trust me, the fake stuff's subtle, it's subtle, it's not obviously fake. Often it's like, Is that, is that fake or is that <coughs> true? Is that Jesus or is it not? But of course, the more that you're in the truth, the more you, you feel and handle the real stuff, the easier it is to spot what's fake. Because this word is your plumb line against what's true. Is, is this thought pattern and what it takes me, is that, is that in Jesus? Is it in the word? So, so if you're unaware of how your thinking takes you down these negative paths, the first step is to identify it, which I shared a bit about it last time. And that's why I in the word so important. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, this is like one of the key verses in terms of telling us or sharing with us how we do this stuff. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So I want to look at some individual words in these couple of verses and try and get some insight on what it might mean to create a new track. Can you move on to the next one because my phone just disconnected. Thank you. So, first of all, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So, that means that you can't fight with control or bitterness or blame or escapism or rejection or resentment or distance. He cannot fight with control, bitterness, blame, escapism, rejection, resentment, and distance. Because those are all things that the world does, and it does not bring life. Because sometimes we want to fight with them, and sometimes we fight with those things because we don't know any different. But fighting with those things, with control bitterness, blame, escapism, rejection, resentment, distance, they do not bring freedom and they will not allow you to create anything new in your mind and to create a new future. What you do have is so powerful that it's not of this word because you have the truth, you have the word of God and it is the primary tool you need to destroy any train track that your thoughts run down and to create new train tracks. Because it says that this weapon, this word of God has divine power. That word in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's linked to our word for dynamite. So literally, if you want to blow something up, you want a thought in your mind that's unhelpful, literally the word of God is dynamite to it. That's what it means. That's why it's so powerful. It will literally just blow it up if you will put some effort into applying it and putting it in the right places. You can't just chuck dynamite anywhere if you want to blow up a train track. You have to actually place it somewhere. Take some care over it. Know that you're putting it in the right place. But of course, just because the word of God is dynamite, don't mean to say it's easy to blow anything up. Dynamite in a demolitions expert hand is probably good. Dynamite in my hand will just, I mean, I'd have some fun. <laughs> but I may not destroy something very efficiently. You've seen those, those videos of huge buildings coming down, like, and they just kind of just go straight down. It's like amazing. I couldn't find a good enough one to show you, but you know what I mean. But it says that actually you're going to need some dynamite because it's actually a stronghold. So this thing that you are fighting against, that you have divine power to do, is a stronghold because it's lived with you for a long time. You've thought in certain ways for a long, long time and it's stayed with you for a long, long time. And it becomes A stronghold. It literally means a fortress. And you have to think of it like that. Lots of people, you have to understand what you're up against. You have to know that you're up against a well-defended fortress in your mind. And it's not just a fortress, because it's not just a, an uninhabited fortress, because there is a spiritual battle. That fortress is almost, it's almost like it's inhabited by, you can see it as like little... Little thoughts in it that are kind of determined to keep that fortress exactly where it is because that thought likes being there. Much of the issue is that we have no idea there's a fight on, no idea what it might take to storm a fortress, to destroy a stronghold. It will take effort and energy and drive and commitment and passion and focus. That's what it will take. And that's why most, most people go at that point go, oh, it's too much effort. I'll just live with pain. All right, well, okay. It's not the heart of God for you. It's not my heart for you. But if you refuse to put the effort in to bring about the change that's necessary, Jesus will just keep on. Even though you have divine power and the treasure we talked about last week. And the idea is that we are going to demolish it. You've got some demolishing to do one of the main reasons why people never manage to build a new track for their thoughts, never manage to create a new destination when they get triggered, is because they massively underestimate what it will take to build a new route. They hope they can pray a prayer, read a passage of scripture, get someone else to pray, that's most people's desire, and all will be well. Occasionally, by the grace of God, people are rescued from something in just a moment. But 99% of the time, you need to demolish that fortress, that's the reality. And it says, you know, we demolish strongholds, we demolish arguments. It is. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You, there is an argument that goes on in your mind, a literal argument that goes on in your mind. It's okay. You can acknowledge it. There are competing thoughts that come against one another. That's why Paul says later on, I, I want to do this, but I, what I do, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, what I do do. He's, he's saying there's these thoughts. Part of me wants to do this, but part of me wants to do that. And then I have this battle, and eventually I do something, and then I don't want to do that thing, even though I do want to do it, and vice versa. What's he saying? He's saying there's some arguments in his mind. And here he says, but we have to demolish those ones, those arguments that take us down past, that are unhelpful, that are unhealthy, that are ungodly, they need demolishing. These mindsets steal from you. They steal your joy. They steal your peace. They steal your time. They steal from your relationships. And they stop you living the beautiful and brilliant life God has got for you. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. They steal from you. And if if now, if you... If you were out shopping and you heard, and somebody rang you, your neighbour rang you say, I've seen somebody moving around your house and they're just carrying your TV out the front door. Most of you would go on pretty quick. (coughs) Wouldn't you? Most of you would not go, ah, it's alright. They can take what they want. But we do that with our minds every day. And I don't understand why we would do that. I don't understand why we'd be more passionate about saving our dining room table, our sofa and our TV or our phone. I mean, I don't understand why we're passionate about saving our phones. But than we would those thoughts that have stolen from us forever and ever and ever I don't, I don't get it, I don't understand it I don't, it do not make any sense to me whatsoever because when we are stolen from it it do, just doesn't affect us, it affects those around us our spouses, our friends, our children, our parents it's not just about you because when you go down those negative places and negative thoughts and end up in those unhealthy places it affects people more than just you And of course, the love of God is there. The love of God is with you. The love of God covers it all. The love of God is there. The love of God never stops. It's never less. Whether you do this or not, it's not going to change. The love of God is continually flowing constantly towards you. But the question is, how about you enjoying it a little bit more? How about you enjoying everybody else enjoying you a little bit more? That's the issue. The issue is not the fact that the love of God is flowing. The issue is that there are burglars in your mind that you allow to just keep on nicking off. It's like, oh, I'm just going to wander in here and pick up somebody's joy and I'm going to run back off again. Oh, let's go back again. And I'm stealing a bit of the peace now. That goes on all the time in our minds. Oh, but it's a bit of effort, is it? It's going to be a bit of effort. Yeah, well, it's a bit of... No, we won't go there. <laughs> that was a bit too close to the bone, I think. It says we have to take captive, take captive every thought, every, my Lord, every, but we can just start with a couple to get going. In order to do this, we have to learn to take captive every thought. In order to take something captive, we must be aware of it, which is why it's taken me three messages to get to this one. Because if you're unaware of your thoughts, you can't capture them. If you don't know there's a dog running around your garden, you can't go get it, can you? So, first of all, we've got to recognize that we've allowed fortresses to be built in our minds. We've chosen to believe things about us or about those around us or about the Father in heaven or about the world we live in that are untrue. We've done that. We've all done it. We therefore have to confess and repent that we've done that, of the lies that we've believed. That's how we start to kind of rip up this track. We go, Lord, I've realised. I've realised this this thought, that I am unworthy of your love, it's a lie. And we have to go, it's a lie. I'm recognising It's not true. And I'm sorry, because I've believed a complete load of nonsense, Lord, and I'm sorry. That's how you start ripping up this track. And then you've got to start building a new track, a new road for your thoughts, based on the truth, on the Word of God. Which is about going, okay, well, actually... This is not true, but this is true. And once again, that will take effort. It won't happen in one prayer. We can't have a little prayer time now where I go, okay, I'm just going to pray for you all. Oh, wonderful. I mean, I'd love to. Trust me, for my sake, never mind yours, I'd love to. (laughs) All right? For all our sakes, it'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? We'd all be perfect overnight. I mean, that's the only time I'd probably be willing to have an all-night meeting is like if we knew we could all be transformed instantly, that'd be ace, wouldn't it? I shouldn't say that because God will tell me I have one now but anyway (laughs) (laughs) but what I mean is but actually it's not something that we it's something you have to go away and go okay you know what I am sick and tired of that thing I'm sick and tired of being stolen from and now I'm going to do something about it and then you've got to keep saying that next week and the week after and the week after and the week after and over the course of a few weeks and months you will be changed trust me trust me you will be changed there's no doubt about it But most people give up after about two mornings. Well. Romans chapter 10. Have we got that there? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. We are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. And with your mouth you confess the saved. So. When you first come to know Jesus, you believed in your heart and then at some point you'll have, you'll, have, you'll have said something that says, yes Jesus, I love you, I believe in you, I want to come to know you. And the way in Amar of Jesus is the same way you came to know him in the first place. Through believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. That will take a while. And it's not... And once again, this Christian faith is not complicated. It really is not complicated. Jesus didn't come and make it really complicated. It's really quite simple. It's about going, okay. This thing, it's just stealing from me the whole time. It's not true. I'm gonna get up every morning. I'm gonna go, God. I'm sorry. I believe that lie. It's not true, and I'm sorry. And Father, I want to thank you for your truth because this is true, and I want to choose. And I choose to believe that this is the truth about me. That's it. That's all you have to do. I mean, it's quicker than popping three pills if you swallow them one at once. <laughs> and plenty of us do that every morning every afternoon and every night. Yeah. Oh, but really. Mm-hmm. Will you feel anything? Probably not. Will it get harder before it gets easier? Probably. Because there's a fight. Will you need somebody to help you and keep you accountable? Yes. Mm-hmm. Will you need to share it with somebody? It will probably help. Yes, that's what discipleship groups are for after all both in the times and out of the times. But I want to encourage you. It's time to kick the thieves out. It really is. It's time to stop making excuses. It's time to stop pretending. And it's time to just go, this is my life and my mind, and I'm in control and I'm in charge. And I've got Jesus on the inside of me who loves me more than I've ever known and has given me everything I need to win. And then it's time to go destroy something that is killing you. That's the reality of it. Because that's the truth, it is actually killing you. In the sense of, I don't, I don't mean physically, although sometimes actually they do actually impact us in physical ways. But what I mean is that it's stopping you living this very best life that Jesus has got for you. Yeah. And it's a wonderful place that you can walk wherever you want to walk. Yeah. You can meet with whoever you want to meet. You can go to any geographical place. You can see anybody, watch anything, be aware of anything. And you know that when that trigger happens, that train is just going to go somewhere beautiful. Yeah. It's not going to fall and crash. Wouldn't that be nice? It'd be nice to not worry about who's going to be there when you go up high. Wouldn't it be nice to not worry about where you're going to go or what's going to happen? But you can have that place. It can be yours. That's what Jesus did. He allowed you to see it in a different way. He allowed you to be transformed. He permitted you to have that beautiful place. And he's already showered his love over you. Shall we pray? Thank you for your love and your goodness towards us. Thank you that your love just continues flowing, Father. No matter what the choices we make, Father, before or after we've said yes to you, Lord, your love just continues to flow non-stop, Lord. It never gets bigger, it never gets smaller, and I want to thank you for that, Lord. But, Father, we also want to say sorry, Lord. We recognise that we, we have allowed, Father, burglars in our minds, Father, and we want to say sorry, Lord. We want to thank you. That though there may be fortresses, Father, you have given us dynamite in the power of your Holy Spirit and your word, Father. And that we have got everything we need to win, Father. And I want to thank you, Father, for every testimony in this house, of every fortress that's already been destroyed, Father. I know there are many, many fortresses, Father. thought Fortresses of negative things that were unhealthy and unhelpful that have been completely destroyed and banished and replaced by something beautiful. I want to thank you for everyone in my life, Jesus. And I want to thank you for everyone that's going to come tumbling down in the weeks to come. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I, would, um, I would suggest that if there's a particular thing you've been thinking about this morning, that you write you down. Yeah. I would suggest you take it to the discipleship group. And I would suggest that you get some help there as to how you can, because sometimes we know it, but we're not quite sure. Well, I know that in each of those discipleship, there's somebody who is more than able to help you and keep you accountable to it. So you've got a great moment to go, okay, all you have to do is go write it down or even write down what you think about it and spend some time together talking, helping, keeping each other accountable. Amen.